0: hi i'm dave barnes and i'm john mclaughlin and welcome to dadville dadville is a podcast where we talk about life love and the pursuit of awesome daddy it's funny thoughts and deep talks so please enjoy your time here in dadville and enjoy this episode with dave hollis welcome to dadville everybody
1: we are i am a I'm, handsome gentleman <laughs> good gracious It's like staring into the sun of handsome, a handsome (laughs) sun that burns your eyes with its handsomeness. Um, Dave Hollis is here with us today, who is, I'm just going to, I'm going to come in in hot, Dave. I'm just going to read, we got the brag sheet here, as we call it. And I'm just going to, we're just going to come in at it. Are you ready for this? Watch
2: your vomit reflex, everyone. Here we go. Dave Barnes, everybody. Everybody.
1: (laughs) Here we go. (laughs) By the way, one of my favorite things is interviewing other podcasters, because there's just this really, it's like everybody know you can feel, it's like dancing with a professional dancer. You just know, like everybody, you already know how to do this I just step. like that so you do goes.
2: the bio with the guest on the show because I wouldn't Oh dare. yeah, no, no, no. Oh no, I wouldn't no. dare make someone sit through the bio. Well, that's you're part of do it, thing. That's what I love about you.
0: I've said this the, the whole time, yeah, like I really want somebody to read their, <laughs> their own, own bio, bio. <laughs> in first person. <laughs>
1: still
2: Ricky Henderson style, talking about how I stole the <laughs> dude, most bases. Dude,
1: yes. Dude, Dave, listen, listen, listen. One of my favorite podcasts is a podcast called The Great Song Podcast. They came over yesterday and we did a couple of episodes. They are both huge sports memorabilia guys like I know you are. JP, one of them just went to this huge one in Nashville. And he referenced meeting Ricky Henderson and how he still speaks in third in, in third person.
2: I That is my favorite thing. And honestly, there is something about, like you've gotta be so confident to talk about yourself so that oh, way. Yeah. Oh. Well, oh, I think yeah. he's Love so him.
1: fast. I think he's so fast he has to speak in third person. Oh yeah. Like he's already passed where he was. Like, it's like, <laughs> he's already been there and left. You know what I mean? Like all the bases <laughs> he stole. Um, okay, here we go, Dave, buckle up. Dave Hollis, New York Times bestselling author of Get Out of Your Own Way, host of the Rise Together podcast, health and fitness enthusiast and online coach, works to inspire others to take control of their lives and create a future of fulfillment and purpose. Dave's history includes CEO of a media startup, former president of sales and distribution for the film studio at the new and up and coming Walt Disney Company, (laughs) a talent manager (laughs) across film, TV, and music, and work in the publicity, research, and technology fields across the entertainment sector. In those roles, Dave has seen both the negative consequences of limiting beliefs and the positive power of imagination dreams and believing in oneself. We're only halfway through folks. Dave has sat on the board of the membership committee for the Academy of motion pictures, arts and sciences, which he Never is heard a member. I don't know what that is. And on the boards of Fandango labs, Will Rogers, motion picture pioneers, national angels, and his alma mater, Pepperdine Institute for entertainment, entertainment, media and culture. Man. Here we go. I'm, I'm almost Happy Dave, anniversary Dave's everybody. Ph- this is great. I, we've all turned a year older. This is awesome. <laughs> By the end of this, maybe 2025, Dave's philanthropy exists via the Dave Hollis Giving Fund. We're acting as an ally to the needs of children in foster care. This is really cool. Teen homelessness and food insecurity have been a recent focus for grants. A father of four and former foster parent to four more. Jeez, man. Dave and his family live in Austin, Texas, where he drives a 69 Ford Bronco. Get in. Named the Incredible Hulk, or if it's big enough, the Incredible Bulk, and has a mini schnauzer named Jeffrey, which is ironically the opposite of the Incredible Hulk. His latest book, Built Through Courage, is available nationwide October 26, 2021. Okay, so Dave, here's what we like to ask when we read the brag sheet. When you hear that, how does it feel?
2: It feels weird in so many respects, because many of the things that you have just read out loud will not even be mentioned at the eulogizing of my life at the end of my life, because <laughs> I am uh, I am in so many ways just beginning to develop the legacy of the rest of my life because mm-hmm. of having left so many of the things that you just talked about in becoming who I am becoming and moving from a career to a calling and so I like I appreciate that like man there are a lot of fun things that existed there especially so much of the stuff that lived in entertainment but 45 years from now when we're uh, wrapping this old bit up uh, when someone's talking about Dave Hollis I hope that they don't even mention the fact that I worked in entertainment because it will not be any uh, anything that anyone hopefully has been talking about for years and years of time.
1: Do you think, you know, it, it's, I'm, I'm reading The Second Mountain by David Brooks, which, you know, is is about this. As is Falling Upward by Richard War. as is, you know, Halftime. You know, there's so many books that speak to this. But don't you kind of think that it doesn't, it's, Solomon Shot called this, you know, thousands of years ago. And he tried to tell us, like, hey, this kind of life works. And yet at 22, we're all like, nah. <laughs> so it's like, but don't you feel like having said that, you st- like, you can't, you still do the things. You, you can't, you can't look at a 22-year-old kid and be like, Hey, you're going to get to an age where you kind of go like, man, that was great, but I feel like maybe there's something else or there's a different way to approach this. You're still going to go do it. Yeah, It's like you could, you could sit with a bunch of young, you know, kids full of piss and vinegar and you can say everything you just said. And they're going to be like, "Yeah, man, I don't believe him.
2: Yeah. <laughs> What's amazing. interesting. Yeah. Like I was, I was born a an achiever for so many reasons that were connected to the way i believed and i see it differently now but i believed that my achieving was the gate through which i would be seen as enough or lovable or worthy and so Uh, Memorizing the most Bible verses or scoring the most goals or becoming valedictorian of high school or getting jobs inside of entertainment. Those were the tickets that would overcome some weird inferiority thing that in the absence of achievement had me not believing enough in myself or thinking myself worthy. And so uh, you could have told me all those things and I've would been like, yeah, I'm going to go do this other stuff real quick for the next 20 years so that I can get these titles and make this money and have this status and sit in these rooms with these people. Because those are the things that are going to give me what I want or make me feel the way I'd hope to feel. And of course, it was around 40 as I'm going through the midlife moment that we've all just, you know, like Mm. are experiencing or will experience where I was like, well, I've gotten a lot of the things that I convinced myself at 22, I would love when I actually had them and having them didn't provide me any of those feelings that I was hoping for. Life has to be bigger than this or worth uh, something different than the thing that I feel kind of empty inside of while I'm inside of this space that I should be so much more happy about. And so I started asking different questions, bigger questions, and it's led to everything I'm doing now.
1: Do you think there's a way with your kids when you think about your four um, that you can change that i mean is there any way for us as dads to look at our kids and be like you're just gonna do it how do i prepare you for what's inevitable or do you think there's a way that you can sort of break them like a mustang before they're broken by the world i mean is that doable
2: no i mean like the thing that i was probably most wrong about about being a dad before i became one was that the way i dad each of my kids would be a utilitarian all of them are Kind of like in the same way, parented the same way by me in the same way. Yeah. And as it turns out, of course, each of my kids totally different human beings. They have different wants and needs. They need to be loved in certain ways. They think and they feel in different ways and they have wildly different passions. And so, yeah, my ability as a dad to see them, like to truly see them and celebrate them for who they each are as individuals, Uh, to encourage them, not like, hey, grades come back home and you got uh, two A's, a couple of B's and three C's or whatever it ends up being. Like I don't spend a second on the C's, I really don't. I'm like, you are doing really well in these two courses where you're getting A's. What more do you wanna do in these fields? Like how can we double and triple down in these spaces where you already are showing yourself to have strength And so for my kid who loves musical theater or the one who's a great pitcher or the one who loves the outdoors or the little girl who loves to dance, like I'm just asking, like, how can we get you a tutor or how can we spend more time in that nature space or how can we like, I just want to do more in those spaces. And my hope is by celebrating the way that I see them and their individuality, that when the world starts telling them, hey, this is the way you become a real man this is the way good girls ought to be that maybe we're just so used to leaning into spaces that celebrate who they are and how god's created them to be that they don't feel the 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 pull to have to necessarily perform the way the world Mm. might ask because they've already been affirmed so much for being themselves
0: yeah yeah look at you yeah that makes a lot of sense That's actually, that's great.
2: I hope it works. Let's, let's, let's not celebrate till we see that it works. You know, like. (laughs) Hey,
0: listen, listen, Dave. (laughs) I have to say this.
1: This is so true. You said, don't you. (laughs) It's got me giggling. It sounded good. Thank you. Thank you, John. But but John, John and I have joked about this. And I wonder if you feel this way with your podcast. I have this real sub, uh, subterranean terror In my life about this podcast, that like, because so much of it is is real wisdom, but there's healthy amounts of speculation too. And I'm like, what if we realize like so much of we put out in the world 30 years from now? Like John and I are sitting at dinner together, and we're just like. Do you, can you delete entire? Can, can you just pull it off? Is it where is it on the web? The
2: parents it, right. sitting with their children in therapy. Twelve years from now, like, can you pinpoint the thing that really led you astray? Like, where did drugs become an option? Like, well, there was that one thing we listened to in Dave, Dadville. Dave Hollis, episode
0: forty-seven, be- I think it was, where it all started to go just off the rails. The
1: beginning of the end.
0: No, but I, I, I love that. I think that is that is really great. That's going to be one of those every now and then in, in in these uh interviews someone will say something never Dave or I but a guest will say something where I'm like okay that is something I can hang on to that like yeah. just that general idea of like bolstering your kids confidence in the voice that's in there that's already in their head that the yeah. good voice not the bad voices but saying like no 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 keep going with that voice that's great
2: Yeah. I mean, by the way, just like to pull on the thread for one more second, if I had to like pinpoint what was it that let me deviate from the voice I now have confidence in and listen to as I'm pursuing my passion in life or my calling in life, it's that I had so many times where the world chipped away at that voice. To the point yeah. that I stopped listening to it or believing in it, and so like that mm-hmm. thing, the thing is, how do you reinforce belief in intuition, in gut, in the kind of like knowing that exists, whether it's voice of God or something that's just there intuitively, so that right. you develop that relationship with it, and don't, as the world tries to chip away at it, lose faith in it or lose confidence in it over yeah. time. All right, let's let's talk about whatever yeah. you want to, gentlemen.
1: Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> More Ricky Henderson, well, please. John? Dave? (laughs) We're both right. That's amazing. There we go. As a dad, there's
0: nothing in the world I care about more than providing my kids. I mean, you know that, John. I know it, and I get it. It's so important that they get all the support and the opportunity that they need to learn and thrive. Can I get an amen, John? Amen. Oh, you said it right Yeah, well, you wanted one. Well,
1: (laughs) I did. I did. I forgot how much you have a giving nature. Listen, at Baiju's Future School, students get personalized attention and a world-class learning experience, all online
0: and from the comfort of your home, to supplement their in-person school education. Dave, you and I have talked about this. Yep. I constantly am thinking about my kids, like, are they being overlooked in the classroom? And look, we love their teachers. I love their school, but even the best of the best don't have time or the resources to customize their approach to every kid. That's true. As a leading online
1: learning platform, Baijiu's gives students personalized attention with live access to a
0: teacher in a one-on-one or one-to-four setting. Now, I personally love the classes that they offer, like coding and music courses for grades one through 12 and math courses for grades one through eight. Baijiu's world-class teachers are trained to address your kid's unique learning needs, no matter the subject. Like the coding course, Dave, mm-hmm. yep. where students explore the fundamentals of coding via their favorite games like Roblox and Minecraft. Join the millions of parents accelerating their kids' learning today. Right now, Byju's Future School is offering the listeners their first class, guess how much, Dave? The uh, $1,000. That would be a great deal, but no, it's free. Oh, just go to ByJews.com
1: slash podcast to sign up for your first class absolutely free. That's B-Y-J-U-S
0: dot com slash podcast. Look we we have been very excited to have you on for many reasons and you've already given us lots of wisdom so if our Thank connection you. gets lost and and we go dark you've already given us something to, to sell ads on but um, yeah, there are many reasons one you're you're maybe our 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 most muscular uh, guests that we've already alluded to, yeah. and it's—I appreciate you
2: yeah. in, uh, recognizing this fact. This is nice. Let's talk about this.
0: <laughs> yeah, you don't have to put your shirt back on. No, no, no. no. <laughs> <laughs> and it's nice for Dave and I to have another Are you muscular talking to me or person. Dave? Sorry, I want the, to know. I'm which talking to both shouldn't. of you. Okay, to, yeah. I'll, I'll shirt up. Dave shouldn't. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but obviously, you've you've had so much crazy success that there is a lot that we could talk about just on that front i mean just your your books your uh you know your time companies that you have worked for all that kind of stuff your time at disney and but i feel like what makes it really compelling and i think what's going to make it really compelling to a lot of our listeners is some of the struggles that you've experienced over these last couple years and you know We live in Nashville, so anytime I meet somebody who is like a young musician on the rise or anytime, you know, whether it be a a pastor who like has a small church and it's really starting to grow, whatever it is, anyone who's kind of in that public space and they become sort of a model for something that people are looking to. They have a gift set that's really like obvious and powerful. Yeah, I just think they have a target on their back. And the more in the public eye you get, the bigger and bigger that target gets. You We're know? not talking about the store. Just there's right. a <laughs>
1: metaphysical, metaphorical yeah. store on the back. It's
0: right, right. But big. the other thing is whenever I see someone who has, a, who has gone through some kind of struggle, I automatically think, okay, this, this person has some wisdom to give mm. the world now. On, and of course, there's wisdom to be gleaned from success, but there's so much wisdom to be gleaned from struggle. I think. What what were some What are some of the most significant nuggets of wisdom that you've you've kind of picked up in these last yeah. couple of years?
2: Well, so I uh, to your point, right? I have this 20 uh, year career at the uh, Walt Disney Company and other places. I transitioned in 2018 into entrepreneurship where my uh, now ex-wife and I created a a company that we scaled. We had a lot of success in a short window of time. And then in- Which,
1: which, sorry, I'm gonna probably interrupt you a lot. So just be gentle with me. No, of course. Uh, it, It comes from enthusiasm, which is amazing because you are stepping into starting this company with a lot of knowledge about that. So that's gotta be exciting, right? It was
2: exciting, but what's interesting is I, like I had come from, a job where as the president of distribution, I had teams in 72 countries, thousands of humans with a ton of subject matter expertise. Like they knew how to do their job so well. And the thing I would describe is they had a nose for smoke, right? Like they could sniff out where problems might end up turning into fire. And so often as a leader, I was getting updates of uh, fires that were prevented before they started, not so much fires. And when I came into entrepreneurship, it was a team now of six of us instead of thousands. And we had no nose for smoke. Uh, We were just uh, observers of very frequent fire. And so interestingly, (laughs) as much as I had a lot of experience in this corporate environment that I lived in for 20 years, I did not have any experience in entrepreneurship and I took very hard uh, on I was very hard on myself that maybe I was not the right leader there was imposter syndrome like was my success at Disney just about the intellectual property and the strength of my team was wow. it what would I was, was was I maybe not as good as I thought that I was because here I can't prevent fires I can't smell smoke and I don't know how to keep these problems from happening and I was fortunate uh, early on, Rachel had a speaking event with John Maxwell and we were backstage and we're kind of like bemoaning the fact that this uh, you know, frequency of fire is a reality in our world. And he in this like very stately, calm, experienced way said, hey, um, you can either have multiple good days in a row or you can run a small business, but you can't have both. Right. Like having (laughs) having problems, fire like fire is uh, the price of entry if you want to be an entrepreneur. And so there was this like gift that came in the perspective of this person who, of course, had uh, been consulting and leading businesses and and talking about leadership forever and ever and ever. And so um, it just normalized what was a really rough transition and uh, And it was hard. but in that hard, there was a lot of breaking down of muscle that was built back up, stronger. I learned way more in the two years after Disney than I did in the maybe ten years prior to leaving wow. Disney. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, in 2020, I, uh, I ended up getting divorced, which was not a thing that I ever expected uh, was possible in my life. There's probably some mm-hmm. uh, hubris in not really given uh, too much thought to that as being a possibility. but, Uh, At the beginning of 2000, or at the end of 2019, we had a company party. I made this really bold declaration that I was going to have my best year ever in 2020, that I'd saved it for my 45th year on the planet. And what I did not know, could not have known uh, while I was standing uh, at this DJ booth, uh, was that uh, I would not have a say in the conditions through which my best year would show up. Because, as it turned out, Uh, my hardest year ever, by leaps and bounds, harder than anything I'd ever been through, also happened to become my best year ever, my most important year ever, not in spite of those things that happened, but to John's point, because of those things that happened. I was the beneficiary of post-traumatic growth. And of course, there was a lot of post-traumatic stress and grief and sadness and everything else, but, what i what i have really come to appreciate is that the you know man i will become at the end of my life the person i'll be known as and and the legacy that i will leave in so many ways was born in 2020 because Mm -hmm. of so much of how my identity being completely kind of pulled out from under me I like truly identified myself as husband to Rachel that was my you know right. son of god husband to Rachel were kind of neck and neck as things I might identify myself as dad to these kids uh, a close second or third and um, and the idea that I was now no longer going to be this person that I'd only ever considered myself to be who that's hard who are you now that you're no longer who you've been but that we also were working together, that my professional identity was also entangled with her, and now I was no longer gonna be working at the company that we'd been working at or that we had uh, started together, was also tough because in so many ways I was handed a blank piece of paper that uh, theoretically should be both parts exhilarating and terrifying, but at the beginning, it's really more terrifying than it is exhilarating because one of the first casualties in the divorce was my imagination i just had so much fear Hmm. because of how many unknowns now existed in my life that i had a really hard time forecasting what next could look like or what the future could look like and so man it was really a a deconstruction of so Hmm. many parts of who i'd been and how i thought and what I like, what who I like stood for, what I like my my identity, what I what I thought of myself as, uh, in the book I reference, you know, like there are so many instances of the people that we admire or the companies that we admire where their story is just littered with a, a ton of failure that they mm-hmm. use as leverage to create strength and power from. But in this chapter where I'm talking about all these examples of all these people, I needed to like, see these examples so that I could have some hope restored in my life by seeing, oh, look, other people, they've gone through hard things. Those hard things were for them. They turned them into something great. I also referenced Lazarus, like Lazarus had to die in order to be brought back to life. He had to go through a hard thing to get something meaningful to happen. And it provoked this really interesting question for me, which was, Dave, what has to die, what, what about you or what in you has to die so that you might be brought back to life? Wow. Geez. And what ended up being the answer was almost everything that had ever meant anything to me, my relationship- So an easy,
1: an easy answer. My,
2: yeah, my identity, my <laughs> sense of normalcy, my uh, vision for the future, like all of those things in their death Allowed in the ashes for me to be the engineer of creating a vision for the future, even if it was hard to really create it at the very, very beginning. But
1: so, so quick question while you're saying that, Dave, did yeah. you feel like because of the, um, because of where you were in that moment, and, and you know you're 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 divorced, is is it any easier to let go of those things because there's already a there's already a pain you're going through that's so seismic? Like, or is it just as hard? Did you find in that moment going, you know what? I'm already down here. Let's burn the whole thing. Or was it, no, now I have to, it's just as hard to bring those other things into that fire.
2: It's just as hard, but it's also not a choice because it wasn't like (laughs) I was saying, you know what, I think I'll just uh, let these things die, but not those. Yeah. As it turned out, there was uh, just so much that was dying at one time and so acceptance and creating something of peace with that death as being something that was necessary to be able to move forward was a big part of the work whether it was in therapy taking long runs sitting on this thing i've created called my patio of peace having conversations with god i mean Mm. i (laughs) first there's a line from fight club which i love tyler durden quote it's not until you lose Everything that you're free to do, anything, Mm. and it took a while to appreciate that. But there was this moment where it kind of clicked, like, Oh, you know what? I now have, in some ways, been handed the gift of liberation to Mm. write whatever chapters I want to write in my pursuit to honor why I'm here, right? Like, I know that God's created me with these special gifts, that there is intention in the creation, and that I have a responsibility, a mandate in some respects to, in what I do in creating this future, honor the intention of my creator. And so Mm. when things now are burned to the ground and Mm. I'm thinking of how in that freedom to do anything, I have this responsibility to try and create honor with this intention, I get to ask, all right, what should I pursue in my work? How Mm. should I think differently about my health? What should I do in my relationships going forward like anything and everything that ultimately was disrupted by this thing I didn't expect to happen in my life was permission now to do an inventory on what mattered and maybe more importantly what never mattered at all and Mm -hmm. now that I'm you know the author of writing on this blank piece of paper how might I fill it out in a way that gets me closer to purpose or that helps me in like my pursuit to honor the intention of this creator who's given me this opportunity. I didn't at the time. I mean, I'd love to be able to tell someone if they find themselves early on in a journey like this, I didn't have Mm. the perspective I have almost two years in, which is my goodness. I am so grateful for every single thing. It happened in a way that really brought out the very best of me. Uh, Because at the beginning, you are like in Shawshank Redemption, just crawling inch by inch through a tunnel of crap. And you can't yet see that the uh, sequence at the end of the tunnel where it's raining and you're standing free is a thing that actually (laughs) exists. But part of it for me was, well, one, you got to have faith. Um, Mm. And like, I I will say, we talked about this a little bit when I came to town, but like, I I really... uh, I really had a hard time, though I'd been a believer my whole life, with uh, why this would happen, mm. and I was angry, like really mm. angry, and uh, had some pretty angry conversations with God. A good mm. news for anyone listening: spoiler alert, God's big enough <laughs> to handle our anger. I, I can report that, like, yeah. he, he's he's good and and, and can hold uh, our heaviest emotions. Mm. But I also like in Which, you
1: know, Dave. Just I want to, I, I, wanna, I just want to pause to let that sink in because I think for a lot of us who grew up in the church, including myself, that is a hard thing to understand. Yeah. Like that is a really hard space to hold in in your prayer life, I think to really understand like God is not like you're what, how dare you, you just said what to me or about me. One of the, one of the most um, powerful things that I ever did, I had to teach this Sunday school class, Uh, Once and I decided to do a study kind of on this, which is God is so funny about these things because you're like, I'm going to teach this thing, and he's like, oh, no, you are about to be taught, my man. But one of the things that (laughs) it changed my life and it changed my prayer life so much because what I realized in studying about these great historical biblical characters is all of them had these insanely candid relationships with God. Mm Mm-hmm. And they said stuff that I was like, there. I if you would have told me that a decade ago, I'm like, oh, you mean he's dead? And they're like, no, 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 he became very close to God. And I'm like, no, you can't <laughs> laugh at God. You're supposed can't to say, get struck by lightning now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, I sort of think the Christianity I was so used to is like, and then that's when he smote him. Yeah. And it was like, and it changed my life, which is so funny. Cause I, I then taught about it when really I was like, I think I've gotten what I need to get before I even teach this lesson. But it, for me, it was like, God seems to honor and enjoy us at our most emotional. If we'll just be that with him. Oh yeah. There's nothing you're well, going to say. We're, we're
0: at our most honest
1: there. You there know? you go. And that's, There's... I think that is all God is ever wanting. It's yeah. just like, just be honest. Like I know how well, you feel. I think, too, yeah, you know. it's so
2: easy to say that you have faith if your faith hasn't been tested. You know, like I was very fortunate. <laughs> right. I had yeah. a lot of privilege in life that I just hadn't gone through a lot of hard things. I was yeah. very, very fortunate in that respect. And so it was easy for me to be like, God's got my back, you know, like, it, right. n- n- like come on. And so yeah. in some ways, I had to be forced to my knees to stay on my yeah. knees, you know, and so uh-huh. it was in a James 4, 8 kind of way, draw near to God and he'll draw nearer to you. Like I've never felt proximity to God until I was forced to my knees and arms in the air, sometimes screaming at the sky, felt the presence of God because of my need for that presence. And so yeah. there was something great about that. But but beyond that kind of faith, the, the other kind of faith that I wanna describe for anyone who's kind of early on in that trudging hands and knees through the tunnel is, I had to adopt a faith that the things that I would need along the way would show themselves along the way in right. that I didn't know how I was going to get through this. It was, you know, I had a Cal Ripken-esque day of consecutive, consecutive days of crying streak at certain points. Like <laughs> I, I really, this was like as low as I'd ever mm. been. And yet yeah. I had to believe that there was going to be something good that would come to support the way I was going to get through it, even though I couldn't see it. And mm. when you believe that, you start looking every day for evidence that helps support that belief and mm. you find what you're looking for, right? No, and yeah, so I, it, it started with a little thing. My pastor sent me the same text every mm. day for the first eight weeks of this journey, 11 words, very powerful. What small piece of sadness can I hold for you today? Jeez. Every day, eight weeks. And it was not a, I want to diminish your pain or try and convince mm. you to not feel it. It was an act of solidarity. I am walking through this with yeah. you. You're not alone. And whatever you're experiencing today, if you can share something that I could help alleviate this burden with, awesome. But it was Jeez. that and it was finding a new neighbor that moved in down the streets when I was not looking to talk to anyone uh, you know, or, or meet new people. This golf cart. Found me on a run and Mm. uh, they became part friend, part therapist, part barbecue buddy. And it was this cathartic miracle uh, Mm. finding a woman in my life that uh, was on her own divorce journey to Mm. share a little bit of how I might normalize or be seen, uh, you know, in some of the things I was experiencing as human and normal with uh, where I was in my journey, but like each of these little things in part were you know, me scanning the horizon with this conceit, this belief that, oh yeah, I'm going to be given the things that I need along the way. And by looking for them, I found them, which was beautiful.
1: John, we all love summer and our kids especially love summer, but we lose that consistent schedule of when kids are in school. And that yep. can create some summer child care problems.
0: You know what? Thankfully, though, Dave, <gasps> there's a solution. What? Windy. That's W-Y-N-D-Y. Listen, it's an app that connects families to college student nannies literally in minutes. These nannies are background checked, interviewed, and honestly, just awesome, Dave. That's right, John. And Wendy has been around for
1: seven years and has been used by over 20,000 families. There are hundreds of qualified college
0: student nannies on Wendy near you, working full or part-time. All you have to do is go to wendy.com slash dadville to start searching for a nanny. And as a special offer, they're going to knock off 50 bucks off your search if you go through that link. Wendy provides top-notch service, but at a fraction of the cost of traditional nanny agencies and no ongoing
1: fees. Okay, so here's how it works. Go to wendy.com slash dadville to start your search. A Wendy concierge will find great matches for your job and set up interviews for you. You can
0: choose the one you like. Get started now because there are a lot of parents out there looking for nannies for the summer. That's right. Go to wendy.com slash dadville. Hey Dave. Uh, Dave? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Hey. Oh. Are you ready? Um yeah. Go. Okay. Focus cuz I'm talking about something important. Oh, I know you are. I'm you talking are. about our hair. Oh. It sits right on top of our money makers. Yes. All right? <laughs> yes, Listen. Using natural products that aren't filled with harmful drugs and chemicals Is so important to me. And I know it's important to you. It is. And it's important to our listeners. Yep. Listen, that goes especially for any product that I use for my hair. You know, Johnny, with
1: Nutrafol, you no longer have to choose between natural remedies and those that work. That's because they love us. Mm -hmm. There's now a holistic solution for men that promotes both healthier hair... And whole body wellness
0: without drugs or prescriptions. Well, Dave, did you know that there are five root causes of thinning hair? Actually, I did. Did you know that? Mm -hmm. And Nutrafol goes beyond genetics to target all the things adversely impacting your hair. Stress. Stress. Yep. Hormones. hormones. I knew that. You knew that. Nutrition. Nutrition. Ooh. Yep. Don't get ahead of me. Uh, metab- Metabolism. I started with an M.
1: Yep. And environmental. Yep. Neutrophil is clinically shown to improve hair growth, thickness,
0: and visible scalp coverage. And the 21 natural ingredients support sex drive, better sleep, and less stress, too. That's three out of three right there. In a clinical study, men showed
1: progressive improvement in hair growth and thickness after three and six months. Ooh. If you
0: don't want to believe us, just ask the 1,500 top doctors. That's 1,500. That's not just doctors. doctors. Yeah. Top doctors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That trust and recommend Nutrafol.
1: You can grow thicker, healthier hair and support our show by going to com and entering the promo code, guess what? Dad Bill. You got it. The same $15 off your first
0: month subscription. Now listen, this is their best offer anywhere—not just here, yeah. anywhere. Yeah. It's only available to U.S. customers for a limited time. Plus, free shipping on
1: every order. Get fifteen dollars off at Nutrafol.com. That's spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L.com. Promo code ZIP Dadville. Let me let me say one thing. I am unbelievably grateful for your honesty and vulnerability. I think that's a I can't say that enough. So thank you for that. Because, you know, it's interesting, John and I have realized we just haven't had, uh, for being a year plus in, we haven't had a single dad on and we've had, you know, people sort of hit us up like, Hey man, it's probably time to sort of. And so I'm, I can't be more thankful than I am for, for you to be so honest. I think there's so much power and, um, and I know people listening are thankful for that too. Can you speak to what it was like and what it's like now walking through that with your kids? Like, what's the wisdom you gained from that?
2: Yeah, I mean, what's tough is we, my ex-wife and I, we had a relationship that was not littered with fighting. We didn't fight at all, hmm. so there weren't, uh, there was no smoke as it uh, as it were yeah, for yeah. these hmm. kids, right? There was as much, I think, surprise uh, for me as there was for them, um, and as much as again, like I have so much clarity now that this is right, it's good. I'm the best version of myself, she's the best version of herself, we as a now family of a different sorts are healthiest and healthier uh, in a way that serves them because they get the best parents possible, period. But having that conversation at the beginning of like why this is happening or how it's gonna work did take some like careful handholding and making sure that we were as um, kind of open as we could be but also conscientious that their minds might only be able to handle so much information on any individual topic. So we sat with them and told them, look, you know, we are going to be family forever. We're going to still spend time together at dinners and birthday parties and holidays and you know, like that kind of stuff. But we know that this is what ends up being best. Did they love this idea? No, they did not. Mm-hmm. No one loves the divorce is literally the worst. I don't want anyone to have to go through divorce, and yet, thankfully, they were also in friendships in their community with kids mm-hmm. that have divorce as a part of their story. Yeah. So there is something that had been somewhat normalized for those that were already sharing time between parents. And so, um, you know, my ex-wife Rachel and I made a commitment that the kids were the most important thing in how we handled anything in divorce. And that if we had something interpersonally that we were trying to work through that wasn't being solved perfectly, that of course it was gonna be done outside of where the kids would be involved or could hear anything that was going on. But we've chosen you know, respect and decency and kindness in pretty much everything. So I feel so grateful that I have a, a partner that I will be partnered with for the rest of my life. It's not like, oh, you get divorced and now that person's not a part of your life. She's a part of my life. It's just a different kind of part of my life. Um, But for the kids, like truly it's been me sharing, I think maybe one of the most powerful things to answer the actual question. I immediately jumped into uh, some therapy around self. Like I didn't know who I was absent the moniker husband to Rachel. And so instead of the traditional therapy I'd been doing, I started doing this therapy called internal family systems that was really about understanding who I am and who I am relative to the things I feel, because I was being bombarded by all these feelings and thoughts that I'd never had before. And the idea of this therapy was you as self are the observer of these parts that show up as, as feelings, right? So if you have sadness or you have anxiety or you have anger, you now are witness to these things, you're not those things. Okay so yeah. I start yeah. doing this therapy and it's just it's life changing for me and it changes the way that I feel about myself and the way that I identify these feelings that I'm having as parts that believe they're doing a job that they think will help me even if I don't like those mm. feelings they think they're there to help mm. so I start sharing with my <laughs> That's kids That's a really
1: profound point by the way It is,
2: it's, it's, it's like a little bit of like an inside out kind of idea, right? Like you can imagine these lands in your head or the way that those feelings are operating inside your mind. But I start sharing these ideas. And as it turns out, like explaining this therapy to adults, I get a lot of like crooked glances, like a cat, you know, like, huh, you're weird. (laughs) But when I talk about it with my kids, it's very intuitive for them because of the having watched inside out. And so now having explained to them how I'm trying to understand my own feelings and normalizing that feelings are fine. And, you know, like I wouldn't cry forever in front of them, but I was certainly comfortable to cry Mm. in front of them so that they could see, look, this is hard for me as much as it's Mm. hard for you. You have permission to cry in this space if you need to. Um, But in having had those conversations, I opened up a dialogue for them to explore why they were feeling what they were feeling not to feel bad about feeling or to demonize feeling in any way but to just say all right now think about the way i described you know like the the story that i'd tell is like i am self and i have named my anxiety clark Right? I've got my glasses. Clark is the opposite of Superman. He shows up when I am feeling anxious about something. And I describe to them that I actually sit at a table in my mind with Clark. I invite him to represent what role he believes himself to be playing. Why are you present, Clark? And Clark will usually show up to attempt to point out a part of my life where there is just enough ambiguity that he feels like if he were to draw my focus to this ambiguous place that I might as self create a plan that would allow him to feel like he could now take off. And so I now do not <laughs> feel great. crappy for Clark arriving. I just know that Clark is there on a mission to point out ambiguity, that I now have a responsibility to make a plan. Clark uh-huh. now gets to check out and I've changed the way I have a relationship with anxiety. Wow. So now for my feeler son, right? I got, a, I got a, a kid named Ford, who's nine. He's amazing, but he's also just like the most emotive kid on the planet. <laughs> and he says to me like i'm feeling a tsunami of sadness and i'm like let's let's go brother it sounds like we (laughs) got to ask someone to sit at the table you know so like we sit down and now we get to have a conversation like can you invite the tsunami to sit at the table and let's have wow. a conversation. I want you to have that, that feeling, explain why it's here and what it, what it's connected to. And it's just allowed for the most beautiful, and there's still it's still heart-wrenching because you don't want your kids right. to experience any pain, but they also are going to, in some respects, I'm just gonna say it and make this a thing, they're in some ways going to see how resilient they can be for having been resilient through this as well. They're going to see wow. how strong yeah. they can be for the strength that came out of having to go through something that was hard. Yeah, they're probably going to need therapy too, right? My parents are married. Mm-hmm. I still need therapy, but like, yeah. I think that there's going to still be some things that probably require them to work through this as adults. And yet I'm hoping more than anything that the way that Good has come from hard. That good can come from hard for them, especially as we try and normalize our feelings. are are good. They're yeah. welcome here, and it's okay for us to talk about them and express what we're feeling.
0: Yeah, we had um, David Thomas on the on the podcast, and he he works at Daystar here in Nashville, where they work with kids specifically, and they have this thing called a feelings chart, and it just it's like just a bunch of emojis that we hang up in our in our kitchen and our kids go and point to it. Or sometimes they'll like my daughter, Luca will go get it and bring it to us and point to the one that she's feeling, which this, this, that seems like such a almost trite cute little thing. It is so powerful. I think for, for our kids to be able to a express how they're feeling, B be separate from the emotion. Like you're saying, like you not you aren't this emotion this this is like that whole sort of image of sitting with Clark at a table that's so useful, I think, and I'm an Enneagram four. so I'm all I am my emotion at any given <laughs> yeah. second. I also feel like you crying in front of your kids and me mm-hmm. crying in front of uh my kids all that I think that is so great because it tells it shows your kids, maybe especially your boys like this is okay like. Dad, Dad, who can bench five 500 pounds, can cry in front of you. It's okay. When that emotion comes, you can cry. It's okay for you to he cry. He's bench pressing yeah. 500 pounds of sadness. Of oh, tears. That's
2: okay. I, I am, I, am I, I mean, it might be 500 pounds of sadness. There's no 500 pound bench press. Don't give these people false hope.
1: We'll edit that. <laughs> they immediately get off the podcast. I'm trying
0: it. No, Lucy. Tell the kids I'll be up in a minute. I got to try this. All say, that matters it. is that you it, you look like you can bench press 500 pounds. Yeah. That's all you. that matters. I
2: appreciate that.
0: Thank you. Yeah.
1: You know, the the other thing that, that I think is really fascinating, and, and you know, Dave, you and I talked about this when you were here in Nashville, and it, I've thought about that conversation a lot since, but, you know, it, to, to John's sort of initial point too, and I think it's worth circling back on, is this really crazy thing about how success, you know, I've, I've, I've laughed, I want to put out a book at some point where I just send a question to everybody uh, you know, my friends, it just says, you know, the thing I've learned about success is, and then you just, and then you fill it out and we put out the book and that's yeah. it. You know, it's not any treatise. It's just like, cause I think success to me is one of the trickiest things that I think any of us go through, uh, at any level, because it's just never what you think it is good or bad. And, and that's, yeah. that's what I think is profound about it. But I think your story, um, especially is so fascinating because as John said, and you i know you see this in austin we see this a lot in nashville because there's just so much talent here but you all it, it, you get to a certain age that we are at you know i'm in my mid-40s too it's hard to tell that from my just kind of the way i look but um, baby face baby face thank you thank you for that thank you for that but but you know you just sort of know now you can see it coming you can see like wow here's this guy girl band group company and they have really got they are good at what they do and that is gonna be wonderful for them, but it's also gonna be really hard for them. And I think um, what's hard for the world to understand, I think people who don't maybe live in that space, is like, man, that guy got it together. That couple got it together. Crushing at this guy, look at that company, killing it. And I think what's really beautiful about your story that you've let us see, is you open the doors of something and go like, yeah, that's not really how that works. And, um, and especially when you look at social media and the lies that we sort of sell to our friends or that we buy from our friends or whatever, mm-hmm. um, you know, your story is such a beautiful and hard example of what, what truth is all is, is, which is success, you know, has these weights that it brings with it. And, yeah. and can you speak to that with, and I think especially for people listening that, that sort of don't get to see those things firsthand, you know?
2: Yeah. So, it's interesting because I've experienced success in a couple of different forms, as it were. I'll talk about Disney just first for a second because if I could go back to my like 22-year-old self, I think I'd say a couple things. One, the things you're afraid of either are not real or will happen and will actually be the reason why you become who you do. So quit wow. being so yeah. like either like embrace the fear, quit like like delaying, just like go. But the other mm-hmm. thing I'd say is the things that you are chasing are not the things that will inevitably make you happy. Uh, because wow. I at 22 was very much as I started the conversation driven by, I wanna get this title, I wanna make this money, I wanna you know like have this status. And what's interesting is the, the trap that you end up finding yourself in when it comes to success then in that scale is, I felt when I'd made it to head of sales at the Walt Disney company that I couldn't possibly consider leaving the thing that was defined conventionally as successful by the outside world because mm. they think i was crazy like what would everyone think of me deviating from what is the norm that like hey he's got the dream job and and by the way like so there are people that are like let me play the smallest violin for dave oh you were not happy at a job that paid you a lot of money and gave you access to movie stars well you're a jerk like and that's okay i'm, I'm okay to be judged but i know that My experience was I probably spent two extra years working inside of that company at the expense of the man I was meant to be and in ways that Mm -hmm. had me with negative coping mechanisms like drinking, not showing up as well as I should have been for my family or myself Mm -hmm. because of this worry of what other people might think of me defining cess by my terms and not the world's. And yeah. so when I made the move, the, the beautiful thing that came to light was that no one and I mean, no one was actually thinking about what I was doing. And so that time was just mm-hmm. wasted. And <laughs> that in making this transition, the, the, the worries that I had were, they were misplaced because I had a whole bunch of other things I should have actually been worried about that were only brought to my attention once I was actually swimming in the deep end of this new opportunity. The second piece was we start this business with four employees that come with us from California. There's six now total people and we scale it to like 65. And Jeez, we just geez. had like, I don't know, I just I, the, success beyond what anybody could have possibly conceived of in the two years of time that we're doing this work. <clears throat> and I had this opportunity uh really just like such a blessing to sit at what i would call a mastermind a bunch of other people further along in some respects in their individual uh work sitting around a table where you know and a lot of them were authors but like talking about what we were each pursuing and where we were getting uh, stuck and so we would do this a couple times a year and the last couple times that i went prior to the divorce i asked the same question two times in a row and that question was just because we can build it, should we? Right, Mm -hmm. just because you can build it, should Mm -hmm. we? And the question was coming because I had something, whether it was instinct or, uh, like something was happening in life that felt like it was changing the dynamic of life. And the way that lifestyle was now giving way to work and the way that the continued opportunity was changing some of what felt like, or compromising I would even say, some of what was our four strength priority, or my four strength priority of what was most important for me. My first priority, or my first core value is, work to live, don't live to work, and I was not doing that. And so Mm -hmm. I'm asking this question of this really smart group of people, and it's it's a tough question to answer, but if you find yourself sitting with that question, spend time with it, and don't let scarcity or don't let something that makes you feel like, oh, if I, don't, if I don't keep building, if I don't keep chasing, I might not have an opportunity down the road. If mm. it ends up coming at the expense of your marriage or it comes at the expense of the way that you could have otherwise spent time with your kids before they head off to college, I think there's yeah. gonna be few things that people will look back on their life with regret for, but this ends up to me being one that they might. Mm. And so yeah. I, in the in the beauty of what ends up happening in the aftermath of now having left the company and starting again on my own by myself, I have one employee right now, a year and a half, to almost two years later, And I am just so deliberate and intentional about how I will build at a pace that allows me to stay super connected to my core Mm. values, to be present, super present for my kids and intentional, super intentional with my relationships, including my relationship to myself so that I'm able to, in doing the work, work to live, not live work, you know, I'm working to live. I'm not, I'm living to work. And so um, I just think you have to ask that question, you know, like if, if there's anyone who in hearing this is like, geez, I feel like I'm chasing this thing and it's coming at the expense of the quality of my marriage or the quality yeah. of my health, the way I'm you know, able to spend time in self-care, quality of my relationship with God, quality of the relationship with my kids. Is it worth building just because you can, should you? Uh, and, right. and, and to me, the answer is, Uh, Probably shouldn't have. I don't know that it would have necessarily changed the outcome of being married or not, Um, but I, I feel pretty confident that the pace with which we were pursuing work and the way that the last few years ended up coming together, success was complicit in the end of my marriage Um, Though I would still consider, I know this is strange, like I was raised in the church like anyone was. I believe in the sanctity of marriage. I have a hard time. I had this conversation with Andy Downs the other day. Like I have a really hard time holding two things in my hand at one time, which is I believe in marriage more than anything. I think no single human should get a divorce. Divorce sucks. And also... I know that I am the best version of myself today and that I am going to have an unbelievably better life that is closer to who God created me to be because I got divorced. And I don't know how to reconcile those two things and I'm not and the thing is there's not even anything more I can say outside yeah. of I would consider my marriage a success and I would consider my divorce mm. a success. Mm. They like we had a, we had a fantastic life and so when it comes to success Though I do think the success of the world was complicit in the end of my marriage. I don't know that that, you know, having ended in any ways takes that away from having been deemed a success or that what happens afterwards because of a divorce would be,
1: you know, anything but success as well. John,
0: Dave. Yes. Okay. Yep. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. Did you know that? I did know that. Okay. We talk about BetterHelp a lot in this yep. show. And this month, we're discussing some of the stigmas around mental health. It's crazy to me that some people think you need to wait until things get terribly bad mm-hmm. before they go to therapy. I know. And that's just not true. Nope. In my experience, therapy has given me necessary and helpful tools to utilize things before things get worse. BetterHelp has improved my relationships and lessened my anxiety. Tremendously. Oh my
1: goodness. Yeah. Therapy
0: and BetterHelp have taught me that mental health is part of everyday normal life. Yeah. Just like working out at the gym, Mm -hmm. uh, eating all your fruits and vegetables, wind sprints
1: in the front yard. Of course. Um, You can have to. Yeah. And I was going to say a high five competition with that neighbor that's
0: a little pesky with his yard (laughs) moan. We should be focusing on in our minds just as much, John. Yeah, BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video phone and even live chat sessions with your therapist yeah. so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more
1: affordable than in-person therapy and you can be matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. So give it a try and see why over 2 million people have used BetterHelp online therapy. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp and Dadville listeners get 10% off their first month at
0: betterhelp.com dadville. That's betterhel dot dadville. I was just going to say, you know, you mentioned your kids through all this, like what, are there any like unique challenges that you're, you're experiencing as a single parent now? And like, and do you have any kind of, for those listeners out there who have gone through a divorce and are now a single parent, are there any tips that you've found that could be useful for them?
2: I, I just had a conversation with John Acuff that uh, came out yesterday. He very eloquently said, uh, Dave, you're not an expert at being a single parent. I said, yes, John, that is correct. I appreciate you pointing that out. So, <laughs> thank you. Uh, so the, the headline is I am I'm super new in this. And so right. in the same yeah. way that becoming a parent for the first time is just you can read what to expect when you're expecting in the same way I can read a book about divorce and none of it aptly prepares you to handle the way that your kids process anything that they end up processing in this journey. And so for me, it's just been very much a one day at a time kind of thing. The the thing that I had to do at the beginning of this journey is is I think a similar thing I've had to do with my kids on a different scale. But rather than thinking about a five years from now, vision of who I want to be, I couldn't even contemplate that because man, I couldn't think past a year. I really had to think about, like, what do I need to get through these next 90 days? And so I just brought that that time scale way close. And I started asking that question against the five dimensions of health. What do I need in my spiritual health, my mental health, my emotional health, my relational health and my physical health? And if I could make a list of two or three things for each of those just to get me through the next 90 days, well, now I've got a daily routine. Now I know the kind of people I have to surround myself with, the kind of habits I have to be considerate of, the way I have to block the negative coping mechanisms that can get in my way. And so as Uh I sit with my kids, it's the same kind of thing. Like, I don't know how accustomed they are yet to something that's still only a year and a half in for them. It feels unbelievably more normal, this new normal today, than it did six months ago, than it did a year ago, than it did at the beginning. And yet we're still kind of going in three-month increments because as you get accustomed, a new thing pops up. And so it's like, oh, all right, do you need to now start seeing the counselor at school for your mental or emotional health? Do you want to start doing this physical challenge with me that I'm doing for the next 60 days? Do you want to uh, spend some time doing this church thing that I'm up to for spiritual health and wellness? But like those kinds of questions end up being something that I'm trying to take in these little bits because it allows me to ask the question, considerate of the circumstances that are happening in real time rather than some blanket, all right, we're just going to do all these things now and we're going to stay static and uh, hope that that right. ends up working out. Um, more than anything, like because I have these four kids, which is like a thousand kids, I, I end up trying to find a way to do one-on-one time with each of them. and uh, And often it's like, going on a drive like something that keeps them captive that affords us something yeah. in conversation so that I yeah. can actually understand what they're really thinking and feeling where their needs against those like kinds of health questions end up landing so you yeah. know if we can if I can pull them away and do a little one-on-one time have a conversation that probes in a way that makes them want to answer. Sometimes I got to sit there and not say anything for the first 10 minutes just so that uh, they feel comfortable. that There's not an inquisition that's about to happen. I have a 14, mm-hmm. 13, nine and four year old, right? The nine and four year old wow. are super happy to talk about anything 13, 14 different kind of game. And so it requires a different playbook for that game. That playbook sometimes is just creating space so they can actually let me know what they are thinking once they feel comfortable to share. But yeah. Um, you know, that's that's a little bit of how I've gone. I wouldn't say though, I know you asked a question about 45 minutes ago. It was so good. Uh <laughs> the the question you asked was, is there any kind of like specific problem that I was going through in real time? And the answer is every day there's a little something that ends up being different or new. Um, there <clears throat> what's been interesting for sure is when they have been uh at my house for the certain number of days just before they're going to transition away. Behavior is good, 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 good. And then you start to see some things out of at least the younger two that indicate that they are aware that they're about to go to the other house. And so it just means Mm -hmm. they need a little extra time. There's just a little something Mm -hmm. that happens right before transition. And then, you know what, they come back and we start the loop over again. The older boys, for whatever reason, I think it's, you know, one, they're just well-adjusted kids, but also have, most of their friends, their closest friends have been through divorce. Um, There's something in how they've adjusted to this that has them feeling like it's a little more normal. So I feel grateful and lucky for that. I think too, the fact that Rachel and I, we're not fighters. We have been super accommodating. They've seen us hang out here. I've hung out there. We had Christmas together. And Thanksgiving is gonna be something that we do together. And Halloween is something that we're dressing up to. You know, So having having yeah. the blessing of an amicable divorce certainly I think makes some of these things a little easier to, to get through.
0: It sounds like you're saying like, just go through it with your kids. Don't oh, try yeah. to make a plan.
2: Yeah, no, I mean, when I yeah. was, uh, When we were doing foster care one of the best pieces of advice that we got was you know you're basically uh, having someone come into your home who is bringing with them trauma right like they have been removed from a home that had their biological parents as caretakers that now they are not uh, in any longer and you may as a foster parent feel a desire to fill that trauma hole to help them not have to like go down into the canyon of that trauma as it were And they're like, look, that is not your responsibility. Your job is to hold their hand as they go into that canyon so that as they come out of that canyon, they have someone stabilizing them and creating some equilibrium for them to continue the journey. And I think the same thing is happening in this house. My kids are experiencing trauma in the same way that I'm experiencing trauma, but my job is to not smooth out that trauma or make that trauma seem like it doesn't exist, my job is to hold their hand and walk them through the trauma so that we can get to the other side with them maintaining balance.
1: Yeah. yeah. Which is true no matter what season we're all in. Yeah. right. I think it's, you know, it's the same. So, so I mean, I, I'm assuming that, you know, coming out of this season had to inform so much about writing, you know, uh, built through courage. I mean, I can't imagine one, I imagine that would have been a, maybe a different book if you'd written it three years ago, as it would be coming out today. But, but, um, can you talk about that? Like, what made you want to write this this book?
2: Yeah, in an interesting way, the deadline to turn in the book was a miracle gift. I mean, it was uh, it was mm-hmm. a thing that had already been uh, outlined and pitched, and I was writing on it and working on it prior to the conversation around divorce. Uh, it's interesting. One of the first things I wrote, I wrote it in March of 2020, was in this rush to return to normal, let's use this time to consider which parts of normal are worth rushing back to, which seems Mm -hmm. mildly prophetic because it was uh, May, two months later that I have this conversation about divorce and I'm now going to finish writing this book as I am now considering which parts of normal will be part of my normal going forward. So it was a a gift because there was, I mean, I wrote so much. I journaled every day, a lot of times on a rock, with a lot of tears, and so much of what I wrote did not make it into this book. Thank you very much. It was for me and for the kind of cathartic processing and therapy that was necessary for me to get through grief. But so many of those feelings and that emotion comes through on these pages in a way that absolutely 100% make this the thing I am proudest of of my entire career. And this conversation at large is just a a broad conversation of developing some very, very deep self-awareness. Where are you, right? Like be really candid and honest with yourself of where you are, what's working, but maybe more importantly, what's not working? Why are you stuck if you're stuck? Why do you feel less fulfilled if you do? Why are you disconnected from purpose? If you are, are, are having any kind of experience with shame or lack of confidence or don't love yourself, why? Like, why don't you feel great about yourself when you're by yourself? But starting with a deep uh, sense of self-awareness, then casting a a very vivid vision of where you want to go. One that asks that question, what were you put here for, right? You're uh, a one of one, limited edition. You are the only person on this planet. You, John, you, Dave, me, every listener. God put us here with unique experiences, unique wiring, the way we feel, the way we think, the way that we do anything is unique to us. And we were put here for a reason and so that question of how would you honor the intention of your creator comes in the casting of this vision that you can see playing like a movie in your head and then the book spends the last pieces of the of the of the book really diving into okay so what's it going to take to get there what kind of how do you build the habits how do you build the routines how do you create the community how do you have the boundaries to actually allow yourself every day to make progress towards this vision of who you'd hope to become or who you who you've been called to become um, and the thing, and the reason why it's uh, you know, talking about courage one, you know, it, it, it takes courage to push the stories that we've been told, the, the way that we've been programmed to believe that real men do this or good girls do that, or you've got to be this way if you're going to you receive the kind of love that you'd hope for from those that you crave love from, to actually leaving that safe harbor, that comfort zone that you've been inhabiting, but in a way that wasn't fulfilling for who you ultimately are, even as it makes you uncomfortable to go into that new space and as it likely makes those around you who have become accustomed to how you've traditionally shown up in their life uncomfortable for now having to interact with you in a new way. Um, It takes Mm -hmm. courage to try new things. It takes courage to fail publicly. It takes courage to uh, find yourself every day creating mastery by falling down and getting back up. But the more that you can find some connection between personal passion, something you can develop some mastery around and your ability to take those things and direct them towards impact. That's my argument for how you end up honoring that intention of your creator and, and find a way to feel connected to purpose. Um, but it takes, it, just, it takes a lot of courage because your comfort zone is surrounded on all sides by fear like a, like a yeah. moat. And there is a, unfortunately, uh, there's, there's no drawbridge. You've got to plow right through that fear in order to get to learning and growth. And it's in that learning and growth where you feel connected to fulfillment, where you feel like you're actually like, really connected to purpose. Um, mm-hmm. but it requires courage to face that fear. You can't make that fear go away. Um, but in a, a John, John, John Frost, Robert Frost. Oh, Robert Frost in a Robert Frost kind of way. The only way, um, the only way out is through right you got to go right through that yeah. fear mm-hmm. so um yeah. so there it is yeah I'm, ex- I'm super excited about it it is truly like of anything i've ever done i am prouder of this than anything i've ever done before you
1: know That's what's so really great. fun to think about too is is how those things are held as you said <laughs> you said so well and i agree so much. it's hard for me to hold two things i got two hands but i'd really rather just hold one thing because it's easier to process but i think in conjunction with what you said which i i've thought about this so much and, and this was the part of the conversation that I still think a lot about is the idea of if we can build it, should we? I mean, that right. from our conversation, just you and I had, so I'm glad you brought that up. But it's funny to think of those two things as how to have courage to live into a space that you see a vision for yourself and who God has made you to be while at the same time having a discipline that says, how do you do that at a pace yeah. that doesn't kill your, you know. I'm not even getting emotional. He's getting choked up. Everyone, yeah. Dave
2: has emotions. This I'm is like, so good. I,
1: <laughs> oh my goodness. Got here? I'm so Episode happy to see this. Thank you. Thank you. But you know, how do, how do you do those both? How do you, and I think to me, those things are so much of the wisdom that you're sharing, which is not just how do we, because it's easy to, to, to sell this idea of like, how do we be our best selves and bigger and better? And as John Mark <laughs> Comer says all the time, up into the right, you know, we're going up and we're moving yep. and we're doing the thing and we're in the scales moving and we're, but I think, Gosh, the wisdom you have and what you've been through to share, which is Mm -hmm. unbelievably wonderful to me, which is like, now we're doing that, but we're also going always at the same time, just because we can scale this, just because we can make it bigger and better. Should we? What are these things? What's the discipline in making ourselves Living into a calling, but also knowing that that calling shouldn't come at the detriment of other things. Yeah. Well, I write write
2: the book in a lot of uh, sea analogies. I get seasick very easily. So it (laughs) makes it very weird that I would talk about sea stuff as much as I do. (laughs) And yet, Uh, I spend as much time talking about the lighthouse, this like vision for where you need to be sailing Mm -hmm. toward as I do this idea of ship killers, the things on a map that tell you where if you hit this on your journey, you're going to take on water or shipwreck altogether. And so it's that thing where you got to like, yeah, you got to know where you're going, but you also have to make sure that you know how to get there in the right kind of way so that you don't arrive and realize, wait, I'm actually (laughs) at the wrong spot. This is terrible. Thank you very much.
0: (laughs) Well, I, <laughs> I think it's really interesting uh, what you said about your time at Disney earlier how you know it's like it, it it you were there for maybe 2 years too long like you're saying uh and and that was maybe you stayed for for the wrong reasons but it doesn't mean that having you know it's not like these two viewpoints are juxtaposed it's not like you can have the uh like just cuz we can build it should we that doesn't mean you don't go work at Disney that doesn't mean you can't have that great job that doesn't mean you can't build that company but it's more so like you're constantly kind of recentering and and keeping your eye on that and maybe that means you work at Disney for this amount of time and not this amount of time kind of thing yeah i think it's yeah. it's interesting how that was kind of nuanced you know um so we we always in the uh, every interview with with the same two questions I'll ask the first one, then then Dave will ask the second one. I hope you like math. I'm ready. Yeah.
2: Let's go. It's getting advanced <laughs> here.
0: Uh, so if you're out at sea,
2: <laughs> oh
0: my god! No. Well, done. Uh, what, what is well the one gosh. thing you want your kids to know?
2: The one thing I want my kids to know is that before they achieve a single thing, before they get a job of a certain title or write a book that is read by a million people or one person, that they are already enough, that they are Mm. worthy and good and loved and lovable before they start achieving, producing, hustling, doing anything. They are today lovable and they need to, um, appreciate that and love themselves in a way that allows them to love others. So, um, that they are, they are good, worthy enough before they achieve a certain thing.
1: That's great. Uh, and and I love this question. I especially love this today because you've already referenced this idea at the very beginning, which is, I love those moments, sort of full circle. But second question, last question, what do you want your kids to say at your funeral?
2: Hmm. That's good. Uh, I want my kids to say that he put himself in a position to continually grow. Something mm. along those lines. Like I, so I, I got this tattoo. It's like kind of like the mantra of the last four years, five years of my life. It's, it's a John Shedd quote. It says, a ship in harbor is safe, but, that, but that's not what ships are built for. Mm. Right. And it's just this like constant reminder that I am built to put myself into these spaces that I do not yet have any mastery where I'm guaranteed to fail so that I can learn. (laughs) I'm going to, um, because of the way the muscle gets broken down, build it back up, but only because of my willingness to believe that I can handle the choppiness of the waters that exist outside Mm. of my own safe harbor. And so Mm -hmm. I was I was asked recently to describe myself in three words. Uh, Heidi and I I'm dating a human being named Heidi. She's lovely, and we are uh, long distance getting to know each other with card games. That's the way it works when you're 973 miles apart. I picked a card that says describe yourself in three words, and my three words were work in progress. Uh, Wow. Because and which is what's what's interesting is there was an earlier version of the achiever in me that actually thought a work in progress was a pejorative. It was a, a, a put down because I was not yet already there, at yeah. a destination that I was hoping to be at. And now I see it as a badge of honor, a thing that mm. at the very end of my life, the day before That's I'm great. gone, I'm still going to be a work in progress because of this belief that I am Mm -hmm. built to be in new spaces that are uncomfortable for the opportunity to grow in that discomfort. So Mm -hmm. I hope that they just see me always putting myself into new things, new opportunities, taking chances. I am taking chances in real time. I have to say this because uh, I just watched the edit of a documentary that I am putting into movie theaters on November 17th. And I don't know if you guys are familiar, you're both in it. So uh, congratulations. Uh, We took a small snippet of our uh, conversations on porches or studios, but I have no business making a documentary. I don't know the first thing Mm -hmm. about documentaries, and yet I got this opportunity from this company who puts things into theaters. They said, hey, we love your book. We would love to have you take the book and bring it into movie theaters, like a book tour kind of event. One night only, one date only. Can Can we do it? And I'm like, Uh, Yes. And then as soon as I said, yes, I had the panic attack that you have when you realize I have no idea what you're talking about. This is a terrible idea. You have
1: pulled up anchor and you are headed toward the sea.
2: Let's go. (laughs) In Uh, that
1: moment. But
2: in an interesting way, right? Like I
1: I have tried to see
2: fear in some ways as an invitation. And so when I get scared about something like this, I'm like, well, Hmm. I got to go do it now for sure because this... It being a thing that I'm afraid of now requires that I follow that instruction. You're built for this. Believe you can do it. You're probably not going to get it perfectly, right? There's definitely yeah. going to be some Reddit thread that makes a lot of fun of you for even trying this. You know what? Right. Right. Give them fodder for their anger and their you know, bad, co- whatever. Just go do it. So yeah. anyway, I'm going to go do it and have some fun with it. And it's probably not going to be great, but that's also part of how I'm going to learn to make it better the next time yeah. I try and do it.
1: Yeah. That's beautiful. I love that. That, a- that is a powerful thing that I think about with my kids that is such a hard thing for me to believe is that, um, it's not about having it all together. And I think as a, as a dad, it's, that is a tough pill to swallow. Yeah. Right. I think the narrative is so much in my own head, like show up and be tough and have the answers and, dad always knows where the ship is going. And I think
0: there's a <laughs> the things that we tell ourselves through. are so often juxtaposed to what we tell our kids. We tell our yeah. kids the truth. I tell myself the lies. Yeah, yeah that's you know? a good word. It's real. Come on, John
1: What's
2: interesting though, just real quick, because I, I know this is like the show's probably over. So this is just us now. Uh, I, I did try to figure out like when I struggled the most to like myself when I'm by myself, And the answer, I I really like look back over five years, just as I was like getting ready to have my best year ever in 2020 so that I could preemptively try and keep whatever variables showed up consistently from being there. The answer for me is anytime I'm out of integrity, Right? Like if I am representing to the world that I'm awesome, but I know that I'm not, if I'm uh, if I know that God has given me these gifts, but I'm not fully utilizing them, if I am representing anything or not showing up exactly as I know I could to become this person that I would like to be. It creates Mm. this space and that space between how I show up and how I know I could have shown up. That's where my shame, my lack of confidence, my self-loathing, the critic starts chirping. That's where it lives. And so that like, even just like I tell my kids one thing and I lie to myself, like that creates dissonance for me. And Mm. so I'm now on this mission to try and close that gap to create integrity because in integrity... That's where I love myself when I'm by myself and Mm -hmm. I am like, I'm so hard on myself. The thing I'm hoping Mm -hmm. for most in this journey is to be able to look myself in the mirror and just be proud to like really be like, dude, you, you did give the very best of what you could on this day. It's not going to be the same every day because I can't give the exact same thing every day. But if I know at the end of the day, I gave my absolute best, there's integrity in that. And I feel great about myself when I'm by myself. Yeah.
1: Sorry, that's, that's that's like a no, yeah, That's that's, that's no. a bonus I, for your Patreon. Accounts. I can't, I yeah. can't, <laughs> I can't think of a better way to sum it up, Dave. Thank you so much for being with us, man. Thank you for yeah, this was show, great. And to your point, showing up and, and having integrity because I think you yeah. i to take a really... picture of us. Do you guys oh, do this? Please yeah, do. Come on, I'll put my shirt on.
2: Yeah, put your shirt back on. <laughs> there we go. Okay, thank you. Sorry, awesome. I love you. Guys. You're the best, dude. Thank you so much. Thanks You're so welcome. Much hey, home. I love you guys. Thank you. Appreciate you.